Nice to see you. Our key scripture this morning comes from John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. So if you want to open up your Bibles there to John chapter 4, that would be great. I'll read that here for you this morning. Jesus uh, was talking with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and uh, this is what he says to her. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Probably all of you in this room have at one time found yourself being asked the question, are you ready? And sometimes, depending on the situation, we can answer that question, yes, I am ready. But there are other times where you know that as much as you have done to get ready, you probably are not prepared for what's coming. Uh, I'm thinking back to uh, before Nisha and I had Zeke. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was our first child. We had had a cat before, but that was about as far as we went on the living creature scale. All of our plants had died. So we were a little concerned about the entire scenario, to be honest with you. But we went to Target, and we registered, and we went to Babies R Us and registered for everything under the sun. We had a wipe warmer <laughs> that would keep the wipes warm. Uh, we had PPTPs. That's, if you don't know what a PPTP is, I'll tell you about that later. Uh, <laughs> it's a little cover, you know, so that when you're changing their diaper, it keeps them from peeing on you. Uh, we, had, we had everything, and I, I remember at the time, you know, when, when we got all these things and at, our, at the baby shower and all that stuff, people were like, we didn't have this stuff when we had kids, and why do you need this or why do you need that? And then, of course... All the time during this converse, these conversations as we're getting ready to have Zeke, uh, everyone is like, are you ready? And we would say, well, yeah, we think so. And then they would just laugh at us. <laughs> and you know why, right? It's because no matter how much you prepare in advance for having your first child, there is no way that you can adequately understand what it's like to, already, to suddenly be responsible for another human being. It's just, it is a life-changing experience. It alters everything in your world. Zeke, now, this year, has gone through his own uh, kind of experience like that. No, he has not had a child. But he moved from uh, elementary school to middle school. And it is like, it's like traveling to another planet. It really is. I mean, so his whole life experience, he's had really, he's gone to really small schools and the classes have been small and, and he's had one teacher that kind of knows everything about him and what he's doing. And then he goes to middle school and all of a sudden it's like there's four times as many kids as there were at his old school. And he has to go from classroom to classroom to different teachers and his locker is like way on the front side of the school and all his classes are at the other side and the kids aren't allowed to carry backpacks so they have to like pack things into like these, it's, it's madness, people, it's madness. <laughs> but what does he have to do? He has to just go out and try it and get used to it and do all these things because the environment 
as much as you can prepare and go see the school and visit all these places, once it's there and once all these people are there and you have to get to places on time, it's a completely different story. We've been studying the Holy Spirit and something that we saw last week that I just want to remind us of very briefly this morning is that we've talked probably through most of our history as Christians about how much Jesus changes things. In fact, it kind of goes with our vision statement, doesn't it? We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. But something that we have ignored or just not paid attention to is the fact that the Holy Spirit is a huge part in everything that Jesus changes. The Holy Spirit is a huge part in everything that Jesus changes. And as we saw last week, Jesus tells us all, he told us all of these different ways that the Holy Spirit was going to change our relationship with God. And it's, this one was one of my favorites, what he says here to the woman at the well, because what is so amazing about what he says to her is he says, there is a time coming where you are going to get to worship God in the spirit and in truth. And, and he tells her that the way you relate to God, the way that you speak to God, the way that you come before God, all of these different things are going to change. And I was so struck by the fact that God in Jesus really is changing the world. God is changing the way that the universe works and knows him and can relate to him. And he's doing that through Jesus, but Jesus is doing a lot of these changes through the Spirit itself as well. He's telling us that through the indwelling Spirit that God is going to live inside of us and he will no longer be at arm's length. That God will live in us, that God will live with us and his dream will come true. Do you remember God's dream? That he would be our God and we will be his people. I am struck powerfully this morning by the fact that this amazing, all-powerful, great God wants to live inside of us. That he wants to live inside of us. That he wants to empower us and give to us. That he wants to change the way we can come before him. Thank God for his spirit. Amen. Uh, so I wanted to uh, just remind you again uh, today that uh, to make sure that you vote uh, for elders before you leave. Uh, if you have any questions about voting or anything else, you can come uh, talk to me or any member of the team. I think their names are all in the bulletin this morning. So it's, a, it's an exciting time for us to uh, potentially have uh, some new elders here. And, and I think God has really blessed us with, uh, with men and families that love God and want to serve uh, this church here. So I'm, I'm excited about it. It's a, it's a good thing. Uh, <clears throat> If you had to if you had to sit down and write a message to your family knowing that you would never see them again that what would you want to write to them uh, that's a tough question right um, it, it would probably 
be a really tough exercise to put everything into focus. I mean, how do you, uh, in one letter or in one moment or in one little small period of time, how do you adequately express to the people that you love and care about and that have been a part of your life, how do you tell them, this is, I wa- this is what I want you to remember as, as I am about to leave you? Uh, it would be tough to put everything into focus. And I, I mean, of course, you would want to, I guess, you know, say some things to help prepare your family to live without you. Maybe there are some things that you want to share that you just haven't said. Uh, but you would also, I think, want them to know what was what's really important to you. Like if I had to write uh, a letter to my kids, knowing that they would never see me again, Maybe the question I would have is like, what would I want them to remember about me? What, what, would I, what words would I want to sort of come up in their minds every time they thought about me? Now, most of us really, we don't have the opportunity to do this. I mean, I've known people over the years that uh, as they were moving on in life that they actually did sit down and write letters to family members uh, while they still had their their faculties, or as one friend put it, while they still had two marbles to rub together. And, uh, and, and they did. They sat down and they wrote letters to their kids and they just kept them. And then uh, when they passed away, their, their family uh, distributed the letters and then they had something to read. Um, but there was, you might have heard of this, it was, it was several years ago, but Randy Posh was a professor of computer science, human-computer interaction, and design at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they were doing a series of lectures where top academics were asked to think deeply about what matters most to them and then give a hypothetical final talk about whatever these things are. Um, and, and so one of the prompts, one of the questions was, what wisdom would you try to impart to the world if you knew it was your last chance? And the title of this series was The Last Lecture. And so they would line up all of these scholars, they would give these last lectures, and, and Randy was lined up to do that. But in Randy's life, a month before he was scheduled to give the lecture, he found out that he had pancreatic cancer. And he had been fighting and... and all the, the, the cancer they had been fighting was terminal, and so he discovered just a month before that he only had three to six months to live. So when he got up to speak to 400 people on September 18th, 2007, it was literally his last lecture. It was the last time that he was going to speak to any of these people again. Um, and I'm sure you heard about it if you were paying attention at the time. There was a book that was published. I think you can still go onto YouTube and watch it, watch him give the last lecture. Um, and he took the opportunity to give what became a really memorable speech. And he revealed a little bit about what he was doing with his family to help them get ready for the loss. And they had bought a house in Virginia where they would live, and he had gotten all these different things set up. But that wasn't really, that wasn't really wanted, what he wanted to tell everybody. Um, his focus instead was on achieving your childhood dreams. And he wanted, uh, and he basically made this point that we all have dreams, we all have things we want to become, we all have things that we want to do, but at some point in our lives, we give up on all those things. And we start to live a life that becomes, I don't know, average. 
And his whole point was those dreams that you had when you were a kid, why did you give up on those? Why did you decide that you couldn't be this thing or that thing anymore? I mean, you know, it might be too late for me to become an astronaut, but still. Uh, and then he went on to say, you know, part of, part of being in a community and part of being with one another is that we can actually help one another achieve our dreams. Uh, and as a man who had achieved many of his dreams, he wanted others to know that they could do the same. And so his last lecture, which could have been this sort of very morose, awful experience for people. I mean, I, I kind of can't imagine it, like being there, having him as a teacher or as a friend or whatever, and knowing that this was going to be the last time he was going to do something like this. But he wanted people, he, he took this opportunity, I should say, and he turned it into something that was completely inspiring, uh, and that people continued to watch all over the country, all over the world after he passed. So why is that relevant to us this morning? Well, Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to die, and he knew pretty much what was coming and, and how this was going to happen, and he knew that he had a limited amount of time with his followers. And in particular, uh, he had been with his disciples, the closest of friends, for three years. And uh, I want you to think about this for a second. The disciples and Jesus had shared pretty much every experience with one another for three straight years. They lived with one another, they traveled with one another, they ate with one another. These men had left their families to follow Jesus. And I, I, I imagine that Jesus being Jesus and them being them, like they hardly made a move, I think, without him telling them what to do and how to do it. And this was their life. They had become a family, and at the center of this family was Jesus. And he was the teacher, the guide, the source of power. He was the one that made everything go. So they were used to having him around. They were used to him being sort of the hub of this system, but beyond that, they had grown accustomed to everything that Jesus meant and offered to them. So, I mean, not only is he the guy that leads them, literally like, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, let's, let's go to this house, let's go to that. You know, not only does he literally do that, but Jesus is the Son of God. And so every day when they go to these places, they're seeing these miraculous things happen. They're experiencing the power of God in the person of Jesus, and it just becomes a part of their normal everyday life. It's a little hard for me to wrap my mind around, honestly, because what would it be like? Knowing that Jesus could multiply your food at any time. Knowing that he could heal that pesky hangnail that's been bothering you for so long. Like, what would it be like to just have access to Jesus at all times? To have access to the power of God like that at all times? God was always with them, and they were completely and utterly dependent upon Jesus for all these things. But... Jesus knew that his last days were coming. Uh, and, and even though he had tried to warn them about this multiple times, I'm going to die. 
I'm going to leave you. I'm going to do all these things. Even though he had, he had told them this multiple times, they still weren't able to wrap their minds around it. And, and they weren't able to map, wrap their minds around it for lots of different reasons. I mean, one of the primary ones was they really didn't believe that Jesus was going to die. And I don't know how they process the information in their heads, you know, when, when uh, Peter says, oh, Lord, you will not die. I will not let anyone, you know. I, 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 it's hard to imagine, but they, they really can't. You know, they have seen the power of God in Jesus, and they just cannot fathom that, that Jesus would be gone. That he would, and, and so as much as Jesus tells them what's coming, it could not be more of a shock to them when it actually happens. It couldn't be more of a shock to them when it actually happens. And so Jesus has tried to tell them this, but they're not getting it. He knows they're not getting it, but he wants them in these final moments that he has with them in the book of John to know what's coming, what's happening, why it's happening, and to reveal all these things to them so that they could be prepared for the harsh reality that awaited them. So he had one last moment, one last lecture, one final place to make sure that they knew the essentials. So what did Jesus want his followers to know in his last moments with them? If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 14. I invite you to turn over there. The notes are also available in the YouVersion app today if you are using your phone or iPad. <clears throat> From John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know to the place, you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, this passage, I think, is one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. And I have used this passage at funerals and memorial services to talk about Christians coming to the end of their life in this place. And Jesus, what I love a, a, about this is that, that Jesus knows what they're struggling with. And, and, and there's something so key here, I think. What is the first thing he says to them? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, why does he feel like he needs to tell them this right off the bat? When Jesus is arrested and taken to trial and goes to crucifixion, where are his disciples? Scattered. Why? <laughs> They're afraid. Virgil says they might be next. It's true, right? It's true that, again, this is something they never expected would happen, and then when it happens, it happens in such a dynamic way I mean, there's an army that comes for Jesus. You know, he's arrested. He's taken before the governor of the... It's like, it's a nightmare for them. And 
they basically spread out and leave. So what does Jesus know is going to be one of the first challenges that these men have to face? Were we wrong? I left everything to follow Jesus. And was I wrong? I mean, that had to go through their heads. It had to. It had to have been this moment where all these things they had built up in their minds that, that, that Jesus wasn't these things, that, that maybe they were wrong. And so the first thing Jesus says to them is, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's one of those like gross, like trying to understate something, you know? Like, it's not a big deal. You know, it's kind of like that. But it is. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He wanted to tell them what was coming their way. So what's coming their way? Jesus is going to be leaving them. But he wanted them to know that this was not the end of the story. They needed to, they needed to pay attention because while it seemed, it was going to seem, I should say, that the end of the story was being orchestrated by others who had come to arrest Jesus and to take him and kill him, he tells them something that's really, really important. Is he being taken away from them? No, he is leaving them, which means who is writing this thing? He is. Is it the Jews that are coming to arrest him? Is it the Romans that are going to crucify him? No, it's none of these people. He's trying to tell them, no matter what you see over the next few days, whatever you see, it is God that is writing this story. And you can trust in God and you can trust in me because here's what's really happening. My father's house has plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? All right. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> standing right here, Bryce. You were standing right there. <clears throat> yeah. Good. So the underlying promise, the underlying thing that, that's going on here is, is Jesus is telling them that they were going to be separated from him, and, and this is going to be hard. But the separation that you're going to experience is is just for a short time, and it's not going to last. Um, they will be with him. Again, specifically, Jesus will come back for them, and he will take them to the place that God has prepared for them. Now, to us, that's really encouraging. To the disciples, however, it's a little confusing because they weren't really prepared for the going away speech. You know, they've, they've gone to the upper room with Jesus to have the Last Supper. Jesus has washed their feet in John chapter 13. They've had this meal. Jesus has talked about 
someone betraying him. All these different things are happening, and they they just they're getting a lot of information at once. And so now they hear Jesus saying that he was going to go away, and it's an idea that they again they just weren't really prepared for. But Jesus needed him to track this. So let's pick it up in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Uh, It's a pretty practical question that Thomas asks here. Okay. Uh, Okay, so Jesus, you say you're going, so how are we going to go also? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So number one, Jesus wants them to know that he's leaving them. But number two, he wants them to know that the separation is just going to be for a little while because all of this is part of the plan and he's going to go away, but then he's going to come back and take them to the place that God has for them. And number three, as we see here, this is important to Jesus for them for this is important to Jesus for them to know. There we go. And here's what he wants them to hear. If you know me, Jesus says, you know the Father. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. And he wanted his disciples, remember what he told them, trust in God, trust also in me. He wants his disciples to know that he is directly linked to God that he's directly linked to God, not as a prophet or a teacher, but as the living incarnation of God, as God in the flesh. Now, think about this for a second. Why does Jesus need them to fully grasp how close he is to the Father? Why does he need them to wrap their minds around that? What do you think? So that they'll know that it's real. And keep in mind, what are they going to have to explain to people in the matter of days? Not just his crucifixion, but what else? His resurrection. The fact that he has raised from the dead and that he is fulfilling the plans of God. So they need to understand that when they look at Jesus, they are looking at the Father And so what is the way? Jesus says, I am the way. He had already told them he was going to come back for them, right? So so he says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, So that's, that's it's a good explanation, but do they understand what he's saying? No. (laughs) The answer to that question can just usually be no. Um, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Uh, Sometimes my children will ask me, Dad, where is this? And I know it's sitting on the table. So I will say, it's on the table. They will walk into the room with the table, look at the table, turn around and come back and say, Dad, it's not there. And I will say, yeah, it is. Go look again, to which they will turn around and walk into the other room, look at the table. And you know what they're waiting for? What has to happen? I have to get up and walk over and show them where the thing is clearly sitting, out in plain sight, on the table. And then what do they say when you show it to them? Oh, I didn't see that. 
What has Jesus just told them? If you have seen, if you know me, you know the Father. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And I imagine Jesus kind of just like... So he says, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Okay, so Jesus, this is, stay with me here. Jesus is telling them something really important about himself so that they understand how the Holy Spirit is going to work in their lives. So if you remember, we've, we've talked about how the Holy Spirit of God has worked within the history of, of the Jewish people, and the term that was most often used is that the Spirit was poured out onto someone. And so there's this concept, right, that the Spirit kind of rests on you or is on you, but the Spirit isn't really like in you necessarily. It's poured out on you. But Jesus is, is trying to explain to them the dynamics of a relationship that that are different. They haven't really thought about it in this way. And the, what he's telling them is this. When you see me, you see who? Why? Because I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Therefore, there is no separation between God and myself. There's no separation between us. And I'm not doing anything I'm doing on my own. I'm doing it through the power of whom? Through the power of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And he says, These words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I love that last line because it's almost like, I know you don't get this, but like try to keep up. It's one of those statements to me. Um, so he was frustrated because they weren't following what he was saying, but this is what he wants them to get. Jesus and the Father are one. The Father is in Jesus. If they, and they need to begin to wrap their minds around the idea of God living in someone. All right, This concept of God living in someone. That it's not, it's, it's not going to be anymore that just like God is at the temple and so I go to the temple. Instead, God is in someone and I am that person, Jesus says. I am the one. When you see me, you see the Father. We are one. So by knowing Jesus and spending so much time with him, who have they really been close to? The Father. Father. God, who always seems so far away, has come close in the person of Jesus. He is God revealed here amongst his people. And if you know one, you know the other. So, doesn't this though, if they come to realize that by living with Jesus, they're really living with God and experiencing God in this dynamic way, um, doesn't that make the loss of Jesus more devastating? I mean, doesn't it make him going away just that much worse? 
I mean, they are living with the revealed and incarnate God here on earth, so how are they supposed to live without him? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, Because Jesus says that they actually won't be alone. Picking up in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Okay, so they won't have to deal with the separation anxiety too much because Jesus will ask the Father, and the Father will send another advocate. Now, this is the word we talked about last week, the word paraclete, which if you remember means advocate, helper, counselor, someone who offers assistance in a situation when help is needed. But here's what I want us to focus on here for a second to better understand the Holy Spirit. Notice that it is not the paraclete. Instead, it is what? Another paraclete. Um, So who's the first paraclete? Jesus. Jesus was their first helper, counselor, and advocate, and for the past three years, he was the one who had filled that role in their lives. He was the one that helped them communicate and be in relationship with the Father. But Jesus promised that when he left, he would send uh, another to come back in his place. This helper, this advocate, would do what Jesus himself did, which is he will point the way back to the Father. Uh, So they might be worried about Jesus leaving them, but Jesus wanted them to know that the one who was coming is going to be just like him, and he will do all of the same kinds of things that Jesus has done, okay? And furthermore, the spirit that is coming is the spirit of what? Is the spirit of truth. Now, in John's gospel, this uh, directly ties the spirit to Jesus, this idea of the Spirit being the Spirit of truth. And I'm just, these are not going to be on the screen, um, but John chapter 1, verses 14 uh, and 17 say, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 7, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. From John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus has said in other places, I am the way and the truth and the life. So what is Jesus trying to get them to understand? Well, what's the difference between him and the Spirit? I want you to think about that for a second. We're going to put that away. Put that question away. Tuck in your pocket. Okay. But that's something that, we, that I want us to get to this morning. What is the difference between Jesus and the Spirit? Because Jesus is saying that he and the Spirit are going to do the same stuff. They're going to work in the same way. But listen to what Jesus says next. He said, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus was not... This is important. Jesus was not just comparing the Spirit to himself in the sense that, you know, I'm like this and the Spirit is like this. Instead, he was identifying the Spirit with himself. And he says here, the world will not know or recognize the Spirit, but the disciples will. And if the Spirit has not come in his promised form yet, then how is it that they will know who the Spirit is? 
Like, how will they recognize it? If some people are going to see the Spirit and acknowledge it, and other people are going to reject it, how are they going to know for sure that, like, this is the Spirit? How are they going to know for sure that this is the one who was sent back for them? And Jesus tells them, the reason why you will know the Spirit is because you know who? Me. You know the Father because you know Jesus. You have seen the Father because you see Jesus. You will have no problem recognizing the Spirit. Because guess who the Spirit's going to remind you of? That's it. The, the Father and the Son are one. If you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. The Son and the Spirit are one. If you have lived with the Son, you will recognize the Spirit when it shows up. If you know Jesus, you know the Father and the Spirit. They are the same heart and the same purpose. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So Jesus comes to this powerful statement that he wants to share with them. And what is he really, like, what's he really focusing on in this time and space? He's focusing, coming back around to this idea of the separation that they're going to have to deal with. Because again, how does he know they're going to feel? Abandoned? Alone? Scared? And what is the one thing he wants them to know? This is is how it's going to look. And this is how you're going to be tempted to feel. But you are not abandoned. And you are not alone. You are not orphans. Jesus says, I will soon be gone, but you will still be near to me. You will realize the relationship between the Father and me. You will realize all that I have done for you, and you will have the Spirit living inside of you, the presence of God living inside of you. And perhaps the miracle is that they are losing, and Jesus is trying to explain this to them, they are losing the physical presence of Jesus, but they are gaining the spiritual presence of God, which will live in them forever. So, in the context of Jesus' conversation with with his followers, with his disciples, what is the difference between Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Good. Jesus has a body. And the Holy Spirit does not. But the Spirit has all the same power as Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit is who Spirit? It's, it's God's Spirit. And who does Jesus get his power from? From God. And so if the Spirit comes to us, can it do the same things that Jesus did? Yes which is what? Know the truth. Speak the truth. 
reveal God to the world. The Spirit can do all of these things. And look, Jesus says, I know, (laughs) I know. I know you don't get it. I know you don't see it. I know you don't understand how it works. And I know that this is going to be something so different than what you have seen or experienced. But as Mike pointed out earlier, when we're going to get to this verse in another time, Jesus says, it's better for me to go. It's better for me to go so that you can have the Spirit of God living inside of you. The coming of the Spirit is God's presence living with us forever. Gone are the days when only certain people would have the presence of God with them. Jesus reveals God in a whole new way, this idea that God would live inside of us. And when he sends the Spirit down, it will live in all who follow God. God will live in them. There will be no separation anymore. And the power of God will live inside of us. Amen? Amen. Something I want us to think about this week, though. The journey to having God inside of us is a scary one. It is. And we are not so unlike the disciples who could not grasp the changes that were coming for them. And so maybe the words that Jesus spoke to them are words that we need to hear again this morning as we ask ourselves, what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us? So I tell you this morning, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that Jesus spoke to some hard-headed individuals. Because God... I see myself in in these men. I know that I have my own ideas of what you should do and how you should do it. I know, God, that I like to control my life and where I go. But God, you are promising something here that I can barely wrap my mind around. Not only that your son Jesus is going to go to the cross die and be resurrected so that we can have forgiveness and grace and life, but God, that you are sending your spirit to live with us. And God, I I praise you this morning because you recognize we shouldn't be left alone, that we shouldn't be abandoned, that we are your children and that as our Father who loves us and cares for us, you want your presence to be with us and guiding us always. So, Father, may we desire more of your presence in our lives, no matter how scary it may be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, uh, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.